0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS and I'm joined today by a special guest, Kim Shivler from kimshivler.com. Kim is an expert in online courses, membership sites, WordPress, and also just business and teaching. And we're gonna get into some of these topics and how they all blend together. I recently met up with Kim at WordCamp Sacramento uh in the late uh or mid 2017 and she gave a great talk on membership size and i just had to get her on the show but kim welcome to LMS Cast and thank you for coming on the show
1: thanks for having me um as i think we found when we met at word Camp sacramento this is the kind of stuff we could both uh, geek out on for for quite a while
0: <laughs> yeah i'm sure this is part one in a series <laughs> but um well, tell us, for those that don't know you yet, um, tell us a little bit about your world. Like, how do you help people, and, and what, are, what are you all about with WordPress and courses and membership sites?
1: So, I consider myself a speaker, teacher, and instructional design consultant. I work with companies to help them build educationally sound courses. Sometimes that's online courses. Sometimes that's actually workshops. And I've done that because I noticed I have a master's degree in education, and I've been teaching for over 30 years now. And I noticed um, as I worked with people who had to get out and teach, whether it was online or not, that that there were just some things missing that they didn't understand, whether from a business perspective or a learning perspective. And being that I had that technical background, I worked uh, in technology, I started developing HTML in 1995, and uh, also was part of a IBM Worldwide team. So I had the tech piece and the educational piece, and I just blended them together to uh, help my customers go forward and, most importantly, serve their customers.
0: That's an awesome combination because, you know, if we're all really honest with ourselves, usually on the technology side or the teaching side, <coughs> or the expert, if you were to throw in a third leg on that stool, just general expertise, they're usually not level at all. So to have some strength in both tech and teaching is uh, is a really great asset. Well, when I was listening to your talk, <clears throat> I heard you talking about things that, uh, that that I didn't hear a lot of people talking about, but they were super valuable um, and things that course creators and membership site owners really need to consider Um and think about as best practices when they build their platforms. Um, so I kinda want to get into that and if you're listening or watching this video on YouTube, I'd encourage you to grab a pen and uh, we're gonna kinda lay out some, some tips that if you were to just absorb these and then do your best to implement these ideas, uh, this is coming from a lot of experience uh, across Kim's experience, lots of clients and that sort of thing. Um, that these are some real best practices and insights that are are worth trying out. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, there's some business and instructional design or teaching best practices for the course creator. Which, Which side do you like to start on?
1: Well, I think let's start at the beginning, which would be the course design. And then take it through the second piece, which, as you mentioned, I talk about that a lot of times people don't, and that is the actual launch process and things from a business perspective you need to do before your launch and during your launch to make sure that it's a success, not just for you, but for your customer, who is really why you're building this in the first place.
0: Absolutely. So what are some key insights on course design?
1: So a few of them. First of all, courses are one of those fun things that we all figured that we were, we sat in school for a long, 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 long time so we can all teach. And we sometimes forget there's actually a science behind this. So one of the key things is that people don't all learn the same way. There's a big argument within the ed industry on whether or not they are true hardwired styles or just preferences, but it really doesn't matter because some people are going to learn better very visually, they like to watch videos, They others want to hear, so you've got the audio aspect, and then others actually need to see text. And what we really find is you'll get the best if you combine all of that. Not to mention the fact that until someone does it, they really haven't learned it. So we need to have activities in there that allow them to experience the success in whatever you're teaching them to show that they're learning it, they're doing it. And interestingly, we've actually found out within the instructional design fields and the psychology fields that the deepest learning actually comes after you've done all the things I just said and then reflecting back upon what you did. That's when we fully absorb it. So reviews at the end of a course are really helpful for that student to take it away And and internalize it. And I don't just mean a review like giving them five bullet points. Interaction with them, allowing them to maybe some information is delivered and then some they have to give back. They have to answer a question or complete a task to really kind of cement that into their body and their learning. That's a big one. Then the other one is really the key for online learning. It's not as big a deal in the workshops, but you really need to break it into teeny tiny little pieces because we don't consume, we're not a people who want to sit and watch a 40 minute video for the most part. We want to consume it in small bites. We want to then interact with it however we're going to, whether it's, for example, uh, doing a drawing, if you're teaching drawing or uh, installing WordPress, if you're teaching WordPress, we want to have those little bites and those little successes going forward. So really break it down. That That's so critical. You also have the difficulty of when you teach live, and I, I teach both live and online. When I teach live, I can look out across the room and you can tell that some people are getting it, some people aren't. You always have that one guy or girl in the back. They are viciously nodding their head, yes, in agreement, and you can just see in their eyes that they missed everything you just said. So you can come back around to it. Online, we've got to figure out where we're losing people without being able to see them in the eyes. And that's where, as I mentioned before, we're building this for our user. It's a concept of, breaking it down, and then having some quiz questions, et cetera, between there so you can see where people are falling out and where you need to pull them back in and what you need to address to make sure you're reaching them.
0: That's awesome. So I think that's just one of the things that makes a more professional course is it's and a course experience is it's not just about getting the content and getting it ready for consumption. There's a lot more that goes into it, like the activities you mentioned and reflection and uh, you know, uh, circling back, having a feedback loop if something's not going through. I mean, that's, that's a, the, you know, the more professional way to do it. It's not just about content.
1: Absolutely. Or about sales. Right. Not just content, not just sales. It's absolutely about connecting with your audience And that's where something I did talk about in in the presentation at Sacramento is testing. Testing is so, so critical. And I mean having people who are your target audience testing. A lot of times when we develop it, uh, yes, whoever developed our, our platform tests from a technical perspective, we as content developers test from our perspective. But like my business coach loves to tell me, Kim, you're not your target audience. So I need, we need to have our testing done by that target audience. That's where we find the places that we thought we were so clear. But if 30% of your audience is missing it, you really need to go back and address it. And the more of an expert you are in your field, the bigger that can be because we forget what we didn't know when we were just starting out. A lot of times,
0: so pre-launch testing is critical. It's, and I mean, it can always get better after launch too. To you know, review how how is it going? Can it be improved? I like to say that the launch is not the finish line; it's the starting line in many ways. But agreed. Um, the way I look at that sometimes is assumptions play such a big role in how we operate as entrepreneurs or as teachers. And really where you get the big breakthroughs is where you challenge your assumptions. And I think being open as a teacher, as an instructor, as a leader, as a coach, to be able to have your assumptions challenged that, yes, I can teach this material with your target audience, not other people just like you. Um, that's so critical and and rarely done, I think. it's it's Or not done as much as it as it should be
1: i agree i for one i think a lot of times particularly the testing piece it's done as an afterthought mm-hmm. uh, again they test the technical piece we want to you know we make sure that stripe is working and paypal's working and we can get your money <laughs> right. but we forget the testing of the users and i agree the launch is just the start however if you will back up and do some of this testing ahead of time, you can make the launch go even better. And then it's a start where you continue going on. But I have seen in a couple different case studies where no testing was done with users beforehand. This was the both were situations where they had a pretty good size audience already, because we know that's important if we're going to have a successful launch and sell something. But without that level of testing, there were so many issues in the launch that we lost a good percentage of people just from frustration that they couldn't get through what they needed to get through. And this was a warm audience. So think if that's your warm audience you're losing, if you're running Facebook ads and you're paying to get people here and you can't serve them, it was just wasted marketing money.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of miraculous what you can do with the technology tools available today and the internet and put, building all the blocks and putting your online school or online program together. Um, but it's still like, I mean, it's just like building a, a car or something like that. You should test it before you go out on the open road with it just to make sure everything's good to go.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I, I think what... For example, what you guys do at Lifter—it's fabulous software. It goes beyond. I mean, I built my first online course in 1997. It was hand-coded HTML uh, with CGI scripts, piecing it together. It was ugly, (laughs) uh, ugly. You know, I wasn't even using Active Server Pages and JavaScript and Java pages, server pages yet. So, what you provide now is perfect. As course developers, we just have to still remember it's about serving our audience. It's not about our bells and whistles and having fun. And sometimes particularly our engineers really like to just, we're going to do it because we can. But when we're trying to teach, that is a service to someone else. And we need to make sure that we are really reaching what their needs are, what their level of learning is. One of the things I find when I work with people on instructional design, uh, and the more expert they are, again, the more this is true, they're trying to cram 30 years of experience into one class.
0: So how do you help someone who's in that position?
1: Well, the first thing we do when we work together is we do a big brain dump. And when they get it all out and I can show them how this isn't one class, this is 12 classes this is a series that builds upon itself usually they get really excited about that it's it's a almost a freeing thing to them and then of course they're also saying hey you know multiple classes is multiple products to possibly keep your customer base going and and purchasing etc
0: awesome awesome well what about the business side
1: so the business side I do, I, I look at two things. One, the testing, I actually consider part of the business side. Okay. So testing with your target audience. And if that's somebody, say you've got a warm audience already, reach out to a small core of them that you know will do what you ask them to do and, and do a true beta program. We always think of beta from a, a technology software engineering perspective but this is a beta for your customer to go through the course and don't even just tell them go through the course i actually give them a sheet i want you to go here and sign in it should take you here does it (laughs) because if it doesn't you know they don't know what the flow is supposed to look like so they just go oh yeah look good but what if i'm sending them to the wrong page so I actually walk them through exactly what it should look like. If they're having problems, I you know do have them fill that out. But I actually give them little exercises to do and, and questions for feedback so that I can really get their picture. Uh, it's a great place to use heat maps to see where they are clicking as they're going through and make sure that they're doing kind of the flow that you're looking for. And really look for... Things like particularly in your quizzes, make sure that you're asking things in a way that people are, are getting it and you're getting the right answers. If you've built something and a large percentage of the people are not passing it, that usually has something to say about your teaching, your content, and what you've put out, as opposed to the fact that your, your students are just, you know, dumb. Because right. it's usually you know it's usually on you, and learn a little bit um, from that business side as you're going into it, really work with any activities or questions that you're going to give them, and make sure that you're helping them along. quizzes and activities should not be punitive they should be learning tools
0: how um how do you make quizzes fun? like I think for some course creators, you know they hear about a learning management system or an online course and they have this quiz or assessment tools, but they have like a, maybe they're somehow traumatized from their experience in school or something like that. But how do you explain the value or of quizzes or make it, you know, get, get them to get over that hurdle of like quizzes are evil.
1: Well, first of all, I I come out and tell everybody that with my students, like guys First of all, again, quizzes aren't punitive. They're learning tools. Okay. And I tell them, my goal with this is not to quiz you. It's for you to look at it and one, check your own learning and two, quiz me. Because if you can't answer it, I didn't teach it right. So once they turn the tables on you a little bit
0: That's and a good you're open trait.
1: to doing that, they're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to get you. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so then I, the onus is on me to write good quiz questions. One of the things people have when they're writing quiz questions is they're afraid of giving away too much information. Don't be. Give away a good chunk of information so that they know where you're going. And then they can get that next answer right. And whatever you do, make sure you're not ambiguous. And that's where in the testing, like I keep hammering on testing. You're going to find questions that the, the students thought were ambiguous that you didn't. Don't ask things like, where was Lincoln shot? Right. Right. Which one of my brother's history teachers did ask. And when he put in the head, um, she had to give it to him, even though she was going for Ford theater. Right. Yeah. So go ahead and build those out and just make sure you're testing. The other thing during the launch is prepare for support calls, prepare your team and make sure all hands are on deck. Because you're going to have somebody that has a problem filling out their credit card information, tries to log in to the course, the platform, whatever you have, and gets an error. Or somehow didn't get their email confirmation because their mail spammed it. And we need to then be able to help them. Just whatever you do, don't say, oh, well, you have to wait for the email. We need to be there to jump in and help get them onboarded if we're needed to, because we're serving them.
0: Yeah, that moment like right before and after the purchase or the enrollment is so critical. And, you know, you should be ready for to provide a little bit of extra hand or just be available because once you help get people, you know, seated and in the classroom and going, they're pretty good. I mean, they're still going to need help and have questions, but Um, I don't know. I think about it like in the real world of, let's say, going to college and, you know, you get dropped off and there's all this stuff going on and you got to find your room. You got to figure out how to eat and all this stuff. But once you got it, you got it. But it takes a little extra guidance there in the beginning.
1: Absolutely. And that's definitely a huge part to make sure that you're focused on them. Also, remember, relationships span transactions.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: So most of us, if we're good business people and truly want to serve our customers, we're looking to build a long-term relationship. I don't want you to buy just one day of consulting from me or one class. I want you to be part of my tribe, you know, that thousand true fans that buys everything I put out. You only get that when you build a relationship. If you look at something just as a transaction, like cha-ching, Got that person, now get them out the door. You will never build that that successful and you'll have to work harder because convincing strangers to become customers is harder than really serving your base well enough that they want to keep working with you and bring their friends and their friends and their friends.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just going to restate that again. It's a mindset thing to have a relationship Focus over a transactional focus. Um, that's so key and that's so critical. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. It's easy to get lost in the weeds of making sure the transaction runs okay, but at the end of the day, it's you know you're doing business between two human beings or teaching between two human beings or a group of people. It's it's all relationships.
1: Absolutely, and yes, you're right. We definitely want to test. Those Stripe transactions, those PayPal transactions, we need to test that. We need to understand that. But if we take a relationship mindset, it's going to be easier to build a successful business. And it'll also make the whole thing easier. It, you know, approaching, approaching that, okay, we're doing this launch. You know, we're going to have a webinar or our email list, however we're going to do it. We know that this is a core time that we're going to be having this extra support. If we look at it as relationship building, then it's much less stress when we get those calls. Right? It's okay. We're going to work together to fix this, and we approach it that way. This is not. This is not the 1980s day of um, being in in IT, which I was back then. You know, where it was no, we're IT. We say it's this way. It's going to be that way the world's different now and particularly if we're going to serve customers whether it's through an online course or a series of courses or a whole platform then we have to approach it uh, with that mindset because the tools are there like you guys have even added this what i'm looking forward to playing with i have it and i haven't installed it yet but where you can actually have special pages for private clients so for those of us who coach and consult that's beautiful. The tool's there. I have to yeah. approach it with that mindset.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's really key. I, another thing I, that I'd like to just add to that is from the relationship standpoint, and I'm speaking as a guy with a software product, um, Lifter LMS, people can, I make it so that anybody in the world can schedule a 15-minute call with me. And I, I make it so it can't fill up my entire week, but I have blocks where it happens. And I talk to lots of people. And at the end of those calls, you know, people do a ton of research when they're selecting an online course or membership or LMS system. They have tons of questions. Um, and they often, after we talk for a while, they thank me for my time. Like, oh, wow, I can't believe you do that. I really appreciate it. Like, I, I can't believe uh, you answered all my questions. And sometimes I'm referring them to a different product because not, that's not a good fit for Lifter. And they're like, wow, I can't, can't believe you're doing that. Thank you. But then I I just turn right back around and say no thank you because I'm getting I'm understanding what you're needing what you're looking for and if we don't really know what our customers or prospective customers are like what the questions they're asking um, you know we're just out of sync <laughs> or we're making a lot of assumptions so I I just turn right around and tell them I really appreciate your time too so I think in terms of relationships it's a two way street it's not like You know, it's all benefit to the student. You know, it's also like to the to the teacher or the the web learning platform owner to have that feedback loop, and be available is really really critical. Um, Absolutely. I wanted to ask you another question about that. Uh, It just popped into my head, but you know, on websites, one of the most useful pages that can help save a lot of frustration is a FAQ or frequently asked questions form, like. I mean, that should be part of uh, the beta program, right? Like, I'm on a mission to discover what my FAQs are and not just assume I know what they are. Like, I'm having trouble paying, you know, how else can I pay for the course? That's not, a, that's not the only FAQ you need, <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. And, and that's why, really, the, the earlier you can bring a few core target customers in and get them going, the better, because you're going to learn what they're needing, what you may be missed. You don't. What you really don't want to do is build 12 modules, only to find out that it's not what they needed or wanted. <laughs> and then you can't even sell it. So when, when we did that, uh, when I did that presentation, I do talk about. Uh, we actually do start with kind of a brainstorm. On what is needed and then I take it to my audience or to my clients audience to get their feedback on that get their questions on that then we build a little bit then we have some core testers and then we fix and we build a little more at the time that we've got those modules ready and when you hear me say 12 I recommend no more than uh, usually 8 to 12 for a class and when, if, when
0: you say uh, modules, are you referring to like, those are like lesson count or those are sections that then can sections. There's lessons inside of those modules.
1: Yes. So okay. sections, chapters, if you're getting to more than that, you probably need to break this into two courses. Um, maybe even three or five. It just depends on what you're teaching. And uh, um, but but build those out and get that feedback. And then once you've got it done, that's when I go to the, my next size where I really try to get a good 40 to 50 people, if possible, to go all the way through it and really get that feedback, see that they're getting where they need to go. It, you know, for example, say I'm building WordPress, tracking uh, or teaching WordPress, which is one of the things I teach, have they been able to actually go through and build their site? If they have, okay, they probably got it. If they're still stuck on the install, then we have to evaluate, did they actually do the lessons or did they really? are they really not getting it? And But just keep testing and checking back and checking back. If you do that, you're going to end up with a course that is much more successful for your students. And then again, what's the next course? What are they going to be interested in, in next? Keeping that pulse with them to find out. I'm always reaching out to them. What, what is the next problem? And don't ask a tip for that when you're being in touch with them. And again, as you're doing this, you're building out those FAQs. Don't ask them always, like, what they want to learn. Dig into what is their business problem because they may not know what they want to learn. They may not know the solution you have, right? Right. They may just know that my business, you know, my business problem is I'm not able to easily share information with my group coaching people other than emails and then the emails get lost, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So your private page within the system might reach that, but they may not be thinking as far as private pages because how much of the technology do they know?
0: Right. They're just problem aware. They're not necessarily solution aware yet.
1: Exactly. And they, and they honestly, your customer doesn't so much care about the technology, the bells, the features, the whistles. They just want that problem solved as quickly and easily as possible. So that's all they care about.
0: I think that's a really um, helpful uh, thing to think about when you're a course creator. There's problem aware and then there's solution aware. Mm -hmm. And before problem aware, there is unaware. So somebody (laughs) just may just be like stressed or like they don't know what's going on, but like something's not right. They're kind of unaware. And then after um, solution aware, they become product aware, which is it can translate to different contexts depending upon where they're where you're interacting with them. But I think that's one of those assumption pieces because as the learning platform owner, course creator teacher probably solved the same problem in our own life at some point um, we we're already at like solution aware product aware. We're past all that now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we're coming back to help, but we have to remember what it was like for that unaware or um, who like came into your circle and is like, wait, there might be something here. Like, and then you, Define the problem a little better than they realize and like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I've got going on. I, I have this problem and this and they're learning from you. So that's uh, okay. that's really cool. Um, I wanted to just for the listener, I thought it'd be fun if we could do a, a short game uh, where okay. <laughs> you come up with three and I'll come up with three. We are saying to do a beta program, do a small beta, then a larger beta mm-hmm. and and then launch but um, what do you think are three questions that need to be on a, almost every FAQ on an online course website? Well,
1: the first one is other than payment. I'm not going to talk about payment because we all know that one. What do I need to know to take this course already? Sometimes there's prerequisites and people get hung up actually in like, okay, I read this and it looks really good. But, but particularly if you're teaching technology, like a lot of times I am, am I going to be able to do this? Can I do this? So when I can say, okay, yes, here are my 70 year olds, completely not technical people building their first website. This is all you need for the prereq. So a lot of times it's just, um, easing fears. So whatever the fears might be around whatever you're teaching, whether that's for example, fitness, maybe, right? As someone who's a little out of shape, am I going to be able to keep up? So, that type of thing, that applies to almost any type of industry. So, uh, what do I need to do or need to know in order to do this? Um, return on investment. I think. Like, you, is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth it? What return are they going to get? And that's particularly when you're charging more than twenty nine dollars. Now, if you're charging twenty nine dollars ebook fee, it's a little easier. But if you're charging more, then they really want to get that. And then I like to let people know what they can expect as far as personal interaction with me, because a lot of times people are actually trying. They're buying access to you. Again, if it's a higher level course. So if I'm if I'm charging thousand dollars for something. I'm going to be giving people more access, not just to my brain that I've laid out here, but to how did they get help? Where am I available? I am frequently known for holding office hours. So I will just send out a link. My office hours this week are this. I hang out in a Zoom room. When someone needs help, they bop in. So those are my three that I like to make sure are on every FAQ.
0: That is awesome. I'm really glad I asked that question. I thought you were going to steal the 3 that I had, but you you didn't pick any of them. Good. So, uh and before I uh, do my 3, I just wanted to touch on Kim's 3 here. What do I need to know to take this course? Under underlying all of these um frequently asked questions are subconscious, I mean maybe conscious but emotional needs. So, what do I need to take this course? Um they're asking themselves, like, is this really for me? Can I do it? I'm scared. Like, will I be able to pull this off? Will I be able to go back to the gym? Will I be able to build a website even though I've never, I can barely check my email or whatever? Like, these are fears. Um, return on investment. People are scared about losing money. And can I trust that I'm going to get a result out of this program? Um, this is comes back to Kim's... Um, Conversation around quizzing and testing and making sure it's working and getting that feedback loop open because the best, the best marketing is a course that gets results for people, not a high converting sales page. So, you know, having an obsession on student results is like the best marketing activity you can do, in my opinion. The third thing she said is, um, how much do I get to interact with you, the course creator, teacher, leader, coach? Um, people are paying for access and it's important to manage those expectations up front. And, you know, as course creators, it's easy to get a little bit scared about, Oh, my time doesn't scale. I can't do one-on-one Kim mentioned some uh, group coaching, which is a great way to do it. Like weekly, monthly, daily office hours, you know, bringing in a special guest email support. I'm a big fan of doing things that don't scale and just charging more for your program. But I think access is, uh, is really important. And it's one of those things that's often overlooked in this day and age. Um, it's not, you know, you don't necessarily want to automate everything. <laughs> in, in fact, it's really, that would be one of the most challenging things to build an online course that gets results 100% of the time with no, you know, human interaction. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. I just had to get on my soapbox a little bit because I thought your FAQs were brilliant, and I just want to kind of unpack them a little bit. Mine are more technical, which is a good balance. And uh, so, mine are is just uh, how do I log in? That's something that I've, as you've yes. done your site a million times, you know how to log in. You might even go in through WordPress or somewhere else where you know your your users don't go to log in. So you've probably forgotten how they log in. Um. The other thing is I forgot my password. So the question is like, you know, or it's more of a statement. I forgot my password. What do I do? You know, that's a good one that you can save yourself. It's a lot of time and frustration on your, on your customer. part. Um, and then, uh, my sixth one is just, um, how do I start? And, uh, you know, when somebody comes into an online course right after they bought, or if it's a free course and they enrolled that very first lesson is when like the excitement, the energy, everything is the highest. Um, So I encourage people to really, really focus on that first interaction and um, you know, getting people comfortable, getting them excited, getting them some kind of result or at least forward progress. Um, But yeah, like you may know how it's going to start. You design the curriculum, but uh, you know, if you hire someone to build a house and the builder shows up on your raw piece of land, you you could very well just be like, all right, what do we do first? I mean, you don't know the builder knows, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's excitement's high, take advantage of it. So that's my uh, three FAQs there.
1: I love those. And the, the excitement's high. Also, there may be a little bit of fear in there too, you know, kind of think of your first day of school back in elementary school. You might've been excited. You might've also been a little nervous. And so I love that onboarding them right there at the beginning and, and making it uh, fun and easy and building that excitement is really a good one.
0: Yeah. And just tying into what you said there, a lot of FAQs, the underlying emotion is fear. It's Mm -hmm. fear of like, can I do this? It's fear of, can I trust this program or this person so it's just important to acknowledge that you know and it's scary to go to school for the first time (laughs) no matter a new program new yoga class the gym whatever it is
1: right and for some people like you tie into that fear I so much agree with you not everybody had a good school experience so they may even be tied back to like I didn't really like going to school why would I want to do this
0: yeah yeah that's a good point well, let's leave the listener, Kim, with one one more just insight or something, a best practice that people should consider um, when building an online course, or either from the instructional design side or the business side. What's something that you don't see talked enough about that's super valuable and, you know, everybody, all course builders should consider?
1: This one, I'm actually going to throw out a technical one. Okay. Because it's one I've seen so much trouble with and it will save your butt if and you're going to have when you're building an online course you are going to have some dependence on emails being sent and received from that course from your wordpress website from wherever you're doing it make absolutely sure you are using an outside web uh, outside mailer like SendGrid, one of those that is a trusted mailer because if you're just using the default from wordpress The PHP mail, they're not going to be getting those emails. And you will save yourself hours of hair pulling and dealing with one-on-one with clients if you make sure that that's put in right so that people can get the emails you're sending out and they're not ending up in spam. And what you'll get from people is, well, they can't be in spam. They're not in my spam mailbox. And then you have to deal with they're not even getting there. They're being caught up here in the ether that says, no, it's spam. It's not even getting to the spam mailbox.
0: I feel like you're psychic, Kim, because I've been helping <laughs> um, some Lifter LMS customers today, and they were having those exact issues with um, just just setting up a transactional mail service like SendGrid or Mandrill. Uh, if you're listening to this and you are a Lifter LMS user, just head on over to the documentation And search email FAQ your website can send emails but it's not like if you're really going pro or turning professional on your platform uh, it's best to use one of those transactional mail services and of course test that I I think emails like when a website sends emails or you know the password reset function and all of this is something that people really don't a lot of people don't test as much as they should So thank you for that tip. I really appreciate that.
1: You're welcome. It's one I deal with with people a lot also. And I'll tell you, I will not say their name. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. But there is a software as a service company out there who doesn't have this ready. And I am therefore not their customer because they refuse to help me in any other way when I didn't get their email. So I use a pro- competitor's product.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's <laughs> that's a, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody, I encourage you to check out kimshivler.com. That's S-H-I-V-L-E-R. That's K-I-M-S-H-I-V-L-E-R, Kimshivler.com. Kim, what other ways can people connect with you on the web and, and just remind people how you, you can best help and serve them if they're resonating with this episode?
1: Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter, at KimShivler. And yeah, from KimShilver.com, you can see how to get to my how to build an online course and instructional design, if you're interested in that, my general web training site, or any of my business communications uh, training and consulting that I do. It's all kind of tied in there. And um, I'm I'm here to serve you, just like I want you to be there to serve uh, your customers.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Kim, for doing part one. I cannot wait for part two. (laughs) I I look forward to it. (laughs) I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks. You too.